0: Buongiorno, and welcome to the Global Podcast, where we keep you up to date on the latest trends and insights on diplomacy in international development. I'm your host, Jesu Antonio Baez, Director of Pax Techum Global Consultancy, based here in London, which produces this series. In this podcast, I sit down with thought leaders, diplomats, and experts on the field, as well as provide analysis from our own team at Pax to talk more about the need for diplomacy in international development in order to foster political will around greater social impact and good. So grab your headphones and let's get on with the show. on today's episode of the global podcast i'm delighted to introduce you all to tamara dancheva who is the head of human rights program at liberal international which is based in london now liberal international is the world federation of liberal and democratic progressive political parties and at li she is responsible for driving policy proposals among liberal parties in the area of women and lgbti rights Responsibility to Protect, also known as RTP, and Freedom of Belief. She is also the Head of Allies Participation and Representation at the United Nations Human Rights Council and the UN Commission on the Status of Women. She's also responsible for the external outreach with Human Rights Parliamentary Caucuses at the European Parliament. So needless to say, Tamara is a very, very important woman and is a privilege to have on today's show. So Tamara, welcome to the Global Podcast.
1: Thank you so much.
0: All right. So uh, it's a real pleasure to have you and particularly because I wanted to discuss around democratic institutions in particular, and of course, we speak around the importance of diplomacy in international development and the importance of sustainable development uh, within emerging economies. But I just really want to dive into how democratic institutions can actually foster greater sustainability in the long run for emerging economies. Now, Andrea Westall, from the Foundation of Democracy and Sustainable Development, she argues that, at one level, the ideas and reality of the two overlap or are interdependent. And then you have, of course, the OECD, which has created a questionnaire on whether democracy is actually a key indicator for sustainable development. So, Mm -hmm. that being said, I wonder, from your experience, how are these two actually linked?
1: That's a very good question. Um, I think the first important thing to note, of course, is that democracy, um, you know, democracy uh, in and of itself doesn't necessarily equal good governance. So I think that's an important point to be made, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, we've seen uh, there are numerous examples from around the world, not recently, where you have, you know, perfectly established, well-functioning democracies where good governance is not necessarily on the rise. Um, So I think that is an important point to be made, because I think often people assume the two are um, synonymous. This being said, of course, um, I think there's plenty of evidence indicating that democratic um, institutions Um, not only strengthen, but actually allow for sustainable development in the wrong one. And there are um, several good reasons for that. Um, Of course, we all know that by excluding certain sectors from the society, you essentially also exclude them from engaging um, in the economic development um, in that particular country, in that particular society. Um, And I think participation of women in particular um, is a big factor. Um, I know of course, uh, recently, um, Saudi Arabia has been um, in the global spotlight Uh, unfortunately not for good reasons Um, that being said of course we've all seen an effort uh, particularly from the new crown prince um, in diversifying the economy of saudi arabia to where it's no longer dependent just on oil exports and one of the uh, of course moves in that uh, way has been uh, an effort to introduce more and more women into the workforce and there is a very good reason for that Uh, we all know of course that 50 percent of the world population is women Um, so you not actively exclude women from participating um, in the um, uh, economic workforce, um, and more often than not, um, we see we see a tendency uh, under authoritarian regimes where women are indeed excluded um, and are not active participants um, to the economic development of their societies. Um, and of course, you know, uh, I'm not going to go too much into into that debate. Um, but you know, effective inclusion doesn't necessarily mean um, just allowing opportunities. It also means fostering, of course. Uh, female leadership and entrepreneurship, allowing opportunities, uh, uh, of course, for women to feel that they can um, have a, uh, uh, an active balance uh, between work and family life, eliminating bias, of course, against women uh, is also a big factor. Um, and of course, let's not forget, providing an opportunity to educate women factor leading to sustainable development in the developing world. As soon as you allow, uh, you know, women and girls um, access to education, um, you see uh, that correlation then in growth of, uh, uh, you know, of GDP uh, and, and, as I said, sustainable development in in the long run. Um, But that being said, I do think we need to be careful when we discuss, as I said, um, uh, you know, democratic development, democracy, and um, good governance. Um, I think one good example that comes to my mind, um, not least of course, through my own uh, experience here at Liberal International, um, is the situation in, in, in South Africa. Um, of course, we all know that it's an emerging economy. Uh, we also know that South Africa has been through uh, a lot of struggle. Um, you know, it's a relatively new democracy, and so uh, you know, we ha- however, we haven't necessarily seen, um, let's say, that uh, economic boost or, or that growth under the current government uh, or the African National Congress. Um, uh, and there is a very good reason for that because. Uh, the current government has been associated with rampant corruption, uh, misuse of public funding, um, inappropriate spending, and all of that. Um, in, uh, of course, uh, 2016, when there were local government elections, um, the Democratic Alliance actually, which is the, the official position in the country, uh, won, successfully won over Johannesburg, uh, a key city, of course, in South Africa, and inherited a $2 billion deficit. Um, you know, and that is obviously. I mean, that goes to show actually how, even though of course um, there, you know, the ANC was was democratically elected to govern in in, in in Johannesburg, they actually ran into billion deficit, and in just two years, um, the mayor of Johannesburg, Herman Mashaba not just manage to overcome um, that $2 deficit, but actually make make profit for the city. And that is just on a local level. So I think that's important to to, to know because, as I said, I I am of the agreement that that democracy is not just enough. You need to also govern, uh, you know, responsibly. um, And that doesn't always necessarily come by just, um, as I said, uh, someone electing you and, and putting you in office.
0: Uh, Precisely, and that's that's an exactly valid point. You know, it's Mm. not going to be the only. Just having democracy isn't going to necessarily Mm. spearhead the economic growth that one could particularly desire for their country. But playing a little Mm -hmm. bit of devil's advocate and, you know, Mm -hmm. of course, you've indicated uh, certain countries, for example, within the Mm -hmm. Gulf region. And it's clear that there Mm -hmm. has been rapid development, particularly in the quality of life in many of the countries within the Gulf, including life expectancies. Mm -hmm. And as we know, they are not uh, they're not democratic at all. And then we have or at least the democratic institutions that can be traditionally associated are not found with certain countries there. And then, of course, we look at the biggest of the lot, which is China, who has seen astronomical growth. And we know very well that it does not have the democratic institutions that one could associate with. Um, So with the fact that these countries have seen astronomical growth, can the case still be argued that democratic institutions can still lead to sustainable development if these countries have somehow achieved it?
1: Yeah, I think that's—I mean—that's an interesting case, and I think, of course, I mean, yes, you rightfully pointed out to China. I mean, we have Singapore, of course, in the region, which, which again, you know, it's—it's—it's—it's, it's, 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 uh, you know, a relatively wealthy country where we do have an authoritarian regime. Um, so it's actually an interesting case to to, to discuss. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think you also need to to um, kind of look um, at the regional impact, of course, um, and and subsequently the global impact. Yes, of course, um, you know, China's development has been rampant, but at the same time, um, you know, more and v- more and more, uh, you know, neighbors of China, but also, uh, uh, you know, economies where China invests heavily, not least uh, in Africa, are more and more cautious about what is the actual long term impact of Chinese investments, because we all know that, you know, uh, I mean, of course, I'm, I'm speaking out here very, very broadly, and, and there are exceptions, but uh, overall, uh, you know, China is not be- a big believer in, in ethical investments. Um, Chinese not be, uh, you know big believer in in, in green economies. Um, so you know how is that then? I question you know what is then the long term impact? Um, so that's you know just when you look at uh, you know Chinese Chinese investments overseas, um, and you know we've all seen that actually uh, uh, you know. More and more countries are starting to question that, um, because sometimes it's not just about cutting corners um, and actually, you know, uh, getting cheap labor or or producing, uh, you know, goods, of course, at at a lower cost. Um, So that's on on one end. Um, And then on the other hand, I mean, yes, of course, the the livelihood uh, uh, and the lifestyle of of ordinary Chinese, um, uh, you know, citizens has improved. However, um, I would argue that is um, predominantly in larger cities. Mm. Uh, We haven't necessarily seen um, that effect trickling down to um, local communities. And Mm. again, there is a very big Big reason for that um, because again when you know when you're stifling uh, as a certain percentage of the of the population that effect doesn't necessarily trickle down I mean we all know that Chinese authorities are, are cracking down on, on, on minority groups and we know that there are a number of minorities in, in China um, so then again one has to question what is the impact then on the local community and we can see it so um, I think it's, it's it's you know it's not let's say black and white um, and I think in the long run um, you know that has an impact, uh, a negative impact, actually, um, on the region, and then uh, in turn it it reflects um, negatively on 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 in this case China, of course, um, and you know in, in, with the case of Singapore as well, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
0: But with the cases going into the cases, let's say, for example, of Singapore oh. and China, of course, these are these are pretty night and day in regards to yeah. not only their economic development but also in regards to into how they govern. Of course, Singapore is. One can say isn't in in democratic in in the light of let's say the Western hood, but there is a far more freedom of expressions and and of individuality than say in in certain other countries. do you would can one say that there is perhaps a correlation between the success of Singapore because of that in comparison to let's say other countries?.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't, not necessarily, because I think sooner or later, these regimes are not going to be sustainable. Just look at what happened in Malaysia, right? There was an authoritarian government in Malaysia, uh, you know, for the past 44 years. It fell. It fell in May of last year, when Anwar Ibrahim, the leader of the opposition, was finally released. Um, You know, and and, uh, of course, I mean, uh, it wasn't necessarily, uh, let's say, the most um, uh, active, uh, um, uh, let's say, forces in the country in in terms of, you know, human rights activists that toppled the government. It was still former colleagues of uh, Najib Razak, the the, the former prime minister at the time that actually uh, uh, toppled the government. But I think one good example from that is that those regimes are not sustainable. Um, Sooner or later, they are going to fall because they exclude the major part of the population from participation in the democratic system, and eventually, as I said, sooner or later, that's going to lead to a, a you know, a, a, a decline, a toppling of, of the regime, and then, of course, the, the effect will be reversed. And and one may argue that the, uh, let's say, the 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 growth um, and, and and the, um, I, I, you know, uh, because actually in in Malaysia under the former government, yes, indeed, there were indicators that Malaysia would reach its its um, SDG goals. Um, way ahead of 2030. I mean, that is undeniable. There was, of course, uh, an official report released. Um, They were particularly uh, striving in in achieving their also uh, uh, one of the SDG uh, goals under education, also including women. I mean, there was an increase of uh, of roughly 30 percent of women's participation in the workforce and all of that. But bottom line is the regime was, as I said, uh, excluding um, you know, uh, the majority of the of the uh, uh, society in, in, in participating in, in, in the direction that the country was going in. And the result of that was, as I said, um, a, top, a toppling of, of the government, which of course inevitably then uh, posed a number of challenges moving forward. Um, not least because, uh, you know, you had a, 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 an in, in this case, in Malaysia's case, of course, uh, um, again, the government had managed to, to stock up an, an incredibly high uh, volume of, 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 of deficit. Um, you know, the former Prime minister had stolen billions uh, you know worth of, 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 of public funding and, and so forth and so forth so then in a way you start from scratch so I think it's, hmm. it's an illusion actually um, and then of course you know one has to then uh, you know it, it, it's rightful now to say that actually that um, effect in Malaysia has had a positive influence on the, uh, on the region as a whole, in Aegean, of course, because it actually creates a, 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 a rappel effect where democracy, um, you know, can spread to the rest of the region and therefore support, um, you know, support development. Because it's also not a secret that authoritarian regimes are not really keen on international development, mm. on international cooperation, and so forth and so forth, which is, again, proven as the fastest, um, you know, way to, to overcome uh, uh, stifled economic growth. So I think again, it's a, it's a more complex picture than 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 you know one may initially assume.
0: No, precisely. And interesting how you said that the the likelihood of an authoritarian regime or a regime that is not democratic in the traditional sense would be not as keen to sustainable development as let's say for example a democratic or uh, a more open society or a country that fosters such um and, and from our own experience you know within Pac second global we've engaged with multiple countries and it has been the case of that the, the economics have always been the key part of the discussion so when trying to propose sustainable development you know there's always a factor of right what is this going to do for the economy and this may sound a bit misconstrued but For emerging economies and countries who are currently non-democracies and let's say for example they're, they're willing to toy with the idea of okay maybe if we start implementing more democratic institutions we can lead to better development but what is mainly the greater economic benefit to them for implementing greater democratic practices and fostering these institutions within their country what are the gains that lead to social impact for their citizens
1: I think, I mean, again, you have, of course, you have gains both for the for the for the for the private sector and, and, and in particular, of course, also for foreign investors and for citizens th- themselves, of course. I mean, I think with the Chinese model, we've seen that it doesn't quite work because you can't, you know, you can't mix capitalism with communism. I mean, it just doesn't work. Um, and so, uh, you know, if you're, let's say, a company which is thinking of investing in China, you have to consider that. Are your, you know, uh, if you're, let's say, a, techn- a technological conglomerate or, or technological company, are, are, is what you're developing, is your software actually used to crack down? which there have been a number of cases on, um, you know, dissent in, in, in China. And then what is the impact on your company and on your services? I mean, we all know that, of course, what companies care most about is their reputation, mm. right? Um, and so are you running the risk to where if you are, let's say, a private investor, or a private company, let's say you're based in the UK, what, to where one day, you know, you wake up and you see that you've actually, uh, you're exposed for assisting the chinese regime and that happens um over and over and over again Mm. um and i think as i said from a from a private sector's perspective that is definitely something that you need to be mindful of and you need to be careful because um er, you know regardless of what business you're in you are propping the authoritarian regime Mm. so then how is that then impacting your you know uh, as I said your reputation um, you know the 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 uh, and, and in turn of course um, your 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 stakeholders involvement right because of course sooner or later your stakeholders are going to start asking uncomfortable questions especially if this is let's say uh, publicized widely um, and then you know of course in turn um, the question is uh, you know are you actually actively you know contributing to, um, to, to, to you know the local community or, or are you indeed um you know fostering a situation to where your products um, or your business is being misused, um, uh, you know, for that, for that purpose. Um, and as I said, I think we, we see that sooner or later, um, you know, that ends up being being exposed. So you, you can't really hide or or run away from it. Um, and, you know, I think Again, I mean, I think in, in, I already mentioned, you know, the, the, the starting example of what, of what happens when you have, you know, uh, bad governance. Um, but also, you know, when, when let's say you've been an authoritarian regime for 44 uh, years and all of a sudden, you know, you have a democratic government. I mean, again, to, 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 you know, use the case of Malaysia, I mean, there's been a significant increase in foreign direct investments since the fall of the, of the government, precisely because now there is more confidence that actually your investments are being protected mm. because you have democratic institutions in place that protect your investment to where the state is not going to say one day, well, I actually don't like your company and I'm going to co- confiscate it and nationalize it, which of course you've seen over and over and over in countries like Venezuela. Yes. So again, uh, you know, as from a private perspective, that's incredibly important because you need, as an investor, you need to have security that your investments are actually secure and that you you have some sort of a of a of a you know and you have a functioning judiciary which which you know uh, in which of course the state does not interfere to where you can raise your grievances should you know should should you need to essentially um, and as I said you know one starking, uh you know and that, that happens over and over again again is is increase in foreign investment as mm. soon as of course you have you have a democratic uh, a, a government a government uh, in place. In terms of, uh, you know, of course, what is the effect on, 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 on the local community? I mean, yes, um, I, I started the podcast at the beginning with this argument. I don't necessarily believe the democratic institutions in and of themselves are, are enough to, to improve livelihoods, to improve, um, you know, uh, access to much needed social uh, services, education, equal opportunities. I think good governance needs to go hand in hand with, um, you know, uh, democratic institutions. Um, I mean, I can also give the, the you know the extreme example in 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 uh, you know with with, with Hamas, right? Yeah. I mean, they were uh, they were democratically elected, and look what happened in the Gaza Strip, right? Yeah. Uh, so that is actually actually I think a very interesting case, right? Because the people democratically elected Hamas, but Hamas is obviously you know wow, well, it's it's a terrorist organization, but more importantly, um, it hasn't it hasn't looked after the interests of its of its citizens. Mm. So uh, yeah, it's, it's it's you know. Again, it's not really
0: black and white. No, it's interesting. And then that, it's not black and white. And I find that when there's discussions around democracy, it can be a little bit too cookie cut. And there's this assumption that democracy must look exactly the way it is done in the West and exactly that we know with all these institutions and particular parties and and so on and so forth. So I want to ask whether or not to, to go back to the idea of, let's say, an emerging economy, toying of the idea of, hmm, we've been a little bit autocratic for a while, we need more investment, let's try to ins- incorporate some democratic institutions, let's try to foster more democratic ideals, but is there a way yeah. for it to become, let's say, more bespoke for the country? I know China tends to... Uh, and many within 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 south asia tend to argue that well the democratic ideals that are being upheld by the international community are too western focused uh and and others are indicating that well the democratic institutions that are trying to be forced down the throat of certain countries are a little b- are, are again they're not um they don't complement the local dynamics is there an opportunity for democracy to be bespoke for the region so that it can it can flourish accordingly uh, and then attract sustainable development in that in the long run?
1: Yeah, that's yeah exactly. That's a very good question. I I don't believe there is a, you know a one model for all. And I think it will be wrong to to um, approach it um, like that, because, of course, you, you know, you need to l- look into what are the, the, the regional complexities, uh, what are the, the complexities on the national level, you know, w- w- what is the culture, um, you know, also, has it been a country where you've had an authoritarian regime for 44 years, or has it been, let's say, uh, a traditionally or, or has it been perhaps a more established democracy where you have uh, difficulties at the moment? I mean, I didn't I didn't actually point out to the case of the Philippines, right? Mm. uh where uh, for the past 3 years you've had president duterte who has been uh, cracking down on opposition who has been cracking down on dissent um you know who has been jailing uh, opposition leaders right or left and right who is threatening the current vice president lenny Robredo and in fact stripped stripped her from a cabinet post in 2016 now philippines one can argue that it has been a traditional democratic force in 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 know in, 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 in the southeast asian uh, region but we can see that for the past 3 years um the situation has actually worsened, especially from an economic perspective, because, again, foreign investors have lost their uh, confidence in in, in, in you know, in the Philippine government. So then the question is, uh, you know, should we should we, you know, start, you know, should we just uh, just, you know, uh, 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 you know, invade the Philippines, uh, you know, and, and, and top of the regime? Of course not. Um, I mean, we've seen where that has been a disaster. I mean, one just has to look uh, over to Iraq, right, Um, to see that actually it doesn't work like that. The best way to introduce change is from the inside out. So you need to, and I mean, I would argue that actually here economics plays, you know, an important role. Going back to China, the Chinese government knows that it cannot maintain power through censorship, propaganda and riot police alone. It needs to maintain some sort of an economic growth to keep its citizens happy, Mm. because if it it doesn't keep its citizens happy, they're going to revolt against the government. That can potentially threaten the government itself, right? Mm. So therefore, they need to look into ways to diversify their economic growth, which is why they have arguably adopted some capitalist elements. Um, And they need to know that in the long term, they need to keep the economy happy, because when you keep people happy, they're not going to revolt. Even if you, let's say, restrict some of their, you know, civil and political rights, at least in the short term, as I as I said, it doesn't work in the long term. But in the short term, you know, you need to ensure that your citizens are happy. And as I said, you know, that's why um, you know the two go hand in hand. And going back, you know, to the to the example of the of the Philippines, um, you know, the best, you know, in this case, you know, the the best that you can do is actually to keep civil society alive, you know, to keep the opposition alive, and to actually support. Um, you know, support those opposition forces in the country uh, by, of course, applying soft pressure, by engaging in dialogue, by by fostering cooperation, um, you know, so that you can actually uh, implement, you know, kind of try and reverse the the, the decline in the in the democratic discourse. Um, and, you know, then, of course, you also need to 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 look at who are the most logical, of course, uh, 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 partners, who are the most logical, um, you know, um, supporters that you can identify because we also know, and as you pointed out, preaching doesn't work. Mm. You know, someone from the West going and, and preaching and saying, well, look, this model has worked in Germany for the past 100 years. You should guys implement it. Well, it doesn't work because Germany comes from a completely different background than, than, than let's say, the Philippines. Of course, Germany perhaps is not the, the best example I'm giving people, uh, in light of, of course, the division that has existed between East and West. But largely speaking, you know, you get my point. It, it, it you know, you can't there isn't a one model because you have different um, democratic traditions, because as I gave the example earlier, um, allowing people to vote in and of itself doesn't lead to change. I gave the example of Hamas. People voted for Hamas. That was not necessarily, a, you know, a, a good choice. But yes, you need to respect it because it's, at the end of the day, it's democracy, right? Um, democracy needs time to flourish. Um, it's not something that happens overnight. And that is why it's so difficult when you have all of a sudden an authoritarian regime collapse because it, it, it takes time. I mean, I come from from Bulgaria, you know, um, you know an Eastern European country, which was under a, a communist uh, regime for, for a number of years. Um, You know, we are now, of course, have been a a member of the European Union for over 10 years. We've been an established democracy for almost 30 years. Has that necessarily, uh, you know, yes, of course, we've seen a lot of progress. But has that necessarily led to what everyone expected, meaning has Bulgaria become the next UK or the next Germany? No, it hasn't. And there is, again, a very simple reason because, you know, democracy takes time and you need to also look at, How are citizens engaging with the democratic instruments Mm. that you are providing? Because it's also about education. You need to educate people why is democracy important and how does that in turn trickle down and how does that improve your life? And so, uh, you know, as I said, you know, there isn't, let's say, necessarily one model, but you can draw a lot of best practices uh, looking at, you know, countries who have gone through a similar process in the region. And, you know, my hope is certainly that what has happened in Malaysia will have a positive effect where, you know, the democratic uh, decline in in the Philippines can be reversed. um, The situation in China can be improved. Um, You know, then speaking, I mean, look at Hong Kong, right? I mean, one can say that actually... The fact that Hong Kong is still actively opposing, um, you know, the Chinese model, and so is Taiwan, has actually, um, you know, had a positive effect on, on China as a whole, right? To where you now see this opening, which you wouldn't have necessarily seen 20 years ago.
0: Interesting. So, yeah. No, it's and it's so interesting how you're highlighting the Malaysian case, and I really loved how you talked about, you know, democracy really takes time for it to actually kick in. And all i can think of in the back of my head now is the recent elections that were happening in the democratic republic of the congo and the implications and so many uh, so much of western media is saying look this is going to be um an era of democratic change and and all that jazz but when we all know it's going to take a long time and i'm also thinking about the current protests going on in sudan right now you know after 30 years of dealing with uh the current uh regime that's in in place what would happen if let's say the regime just toppled down you know what what is the next step and if there is a democratic process how long will it take for mm-hmm. it to really kick in so it's provided a lot of good food for thought and and it's really bringing me now beautifully into the last question i have really wanted to ask you which what are the key challenges or threats to democracy that can indeed impede on overall sustainable development, particularly let's say in current events or or that you've seen like a trend.
1: Yeah, very good question. Uh, especially in this day and age, uh, where we actually see see that liberal values are on the decline, and people are turning away from from uh, you know cooperation, from globalism as such, and turning towards nationalism. Um, for me, the biggest threat um, to uh, democracy and to sustainable development is, by all means, populist and far right ideas. When you instill fear in your population instead of hope, when you are Actively um, promoting a message of fear instead of one of hope, and when we, when you are teaching people or preaching to people that they should be afraid uh, of their neighbor, of, the, of their of their fellow citizen because they have a different skin or because of a, they have a different, uh, uh, you know, religious uh, belief than you, uh, or they come from a different place than you, that in turn, of course, uh, 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 prevents um you know uh, an active actually i would argue uh, um, sense of, of of togetherness a sense of community which of course in 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 turn has a negative uh, effect on um you know on the country as a whole because you can't you know if you can't reach um you know sustainable growth and i started the, the you know my 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 uh, you know uh the, the blog with this argument unless you act engage all sectors of society. Um, and so what we see now happening, I mean, uh, you know, unfortunately, I have to point to the United States uh, with President Trump, um, you know, a, a huge reverse in, 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 in what the U.S. has always stood for, um, you know, this retreat to nationalism, uh, this politics of fear, uh, uh, just for the sake of, of, of getting that extra vote, uh, you know, and, and getting into office. Um, is exactly that that's not going to lead to good governments despite the fact that, that president Trump has was democratically elected quite the opposite mm. um, And we already see see it especially when it comes to Such big powers because then who is going to fill the vacuum, right? I mean the u.s. Has traditionally defended democracy and freedom around the world um, Yes, of course we can argue uh, 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 You know for, for days at a time um, as to what role the u.s. Has played but uh, it, it has not always been uh, been po- a positive influence but no one can disagree that traditionally speaking they have been the global policemen now who is going to defend these values and what's going to happen I mean you have uh, uh ISIS, right the, the rise of ISIS. they're loving this you have you know you have uh, uh um, putin in russia who is of course uh, uh again uh quite happy with the fact that now you don't have these this 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 buffer um, um, that that can get, that can stop his advances particularly of course towards um, Eastern Europe and, and other parts of the world we see Russia's meddling in Syria which is a, a good example of, of of where they have found a way to fill this this gap as a result of, of the U.S.'s retreat um, and so I think you know. I definitely think that this message of fear is what you know will eventually be the destruction um, worldwide if we don't do anything to stop these trends. I mean, we see it even in Europe. I mean, uh, Hungary, uh, democracy, Hungary has been uh, you know in the, in decline. Um, you know, freedom of, of, of the of the press is under under question. Um, you know, universities are being shut down. Um, I mean, and that is Hungary, a, a member of the European Union. So you know, what about as you mentioned, the Democratic Republic of the Congo? and Sudan, where you don't even have established democratic institutions. So uh, while I certainly don't want to end on a negative no- note, I do want to emphasize that it is everyone's responsibility to actively, you know, participate in the process and not allow such ideas to, to, to hold grip of, uh, gr- you know, to, to, to grip the society that we live in. Um, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, we, we are all people. We all want to be happy. We all, all want to have, uh, you know, a good life. Uh, we all want to live in, you know, in a thriving uh, democratic society where you have a thriving economy, where you can feed your family, and where you can, you know, express your ideas freely. And so, you know, in that sense, we're all we're all the same. So there is no reason, you know, to fear someone because they're different. Um, and what's more. Um, it's only through cooperation and only by including everyone on the on the table to where you can actually, uh, uh, you know, start uh, start, uh, um, you know, con- con- have an active and, and, and positive growth and you can actually achieve a community uh, to to where, um, you know, you have uh, you have uh, uh, you can maintain, the, you know, the same standards of living for, for everyone across across the board.
0: Oh, it's been excellent as well too, in the fact that democracy can provide sustainable development in the sense of investors feeling more confident and that there is no real cookie cut way on how democratic processes can look. And just as you said, you know, though the current status of the world is looking a bit uh looking a bit shady, you know, there is still hope for sitting down at the table and really discussing on how we can make a positive social impact through um, de- democratic institutions that can lead to sustainable development. Tamara, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you. It's left a lot of food for thought, and I hope the audience feels that way as well. But thank you very much for your time today on The Global Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for your
0: invitation. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this edition of The Global Podcast. I'm Jesu Antonio Baez, Director of Pax and Global Consultancy, which produces this series. Please do check out our website at www. paxtecumglobal.org, that's dot org to discover more about our work. You can also follow this podcast and the work of PAX on both Twitter and LinkedIn. And if you like this podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and of course subscribe on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Join us next week for another edition, and until next time, grazie e ci sentiamo presto. Ciao!